Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lawrence and this is Voices. In this set of interviews, I will be focusing on issues of inclusion, diversity and allyship through intimate conversations with wine industry professionals from all over the globe. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps us cover equipment, production and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This is the Voices series with me, Rebecca Lawrence. This week, I'm honoured to be joined by Master of Wine, Martin Reyes. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So I really don't know where to start because you're not only currently doing so much, we've already talked a little bit off pod about how much stuff you're doing, but you've done so much already. You make wine, you write papers, you educate, speak, judge. Uh, I heard a rumor that you're coming up fluent in five languages. So let's start with what brought you to the wine industry. An easy start. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a story that that's, it's fun to relive because you never, you, you don't know at the time, right? What, uh, it was in college, it was a Parisian dinner there was an exchange program and it was, uh, you know, at the time in your being 20 and, you find the thrill of being in a studying in, in Paris and, you know, and, and then this dinner with this thrilling, intoxicating conviviality around wine. I'd never laughed so much with friends at a table with amount, with the amount of food there, you know, and it was a special, it was, there's something special about that kind of buzz that was very different than what you think of as a college kid, right? Either drinking shots or having beers with your buddies, watching TV. This was something special and, and it was something magical. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And that has what drove me to, to get into wine just as a consumer way back when, when I, was, when I was in college. Yeah, I loved the different spaces that wine created for me when I first started getting into wine. That familial, convivial kind of approach to being around a table when there's wine on it with wine people is just so attractive. Yeah. You know, I've often said more recently as we've developed, as we've matured in our virtual conversation spaces, you know, po- podcasts and interviews, you know, th- through throughout the COVID and post COVID and you, you, it's time for reflection because you, you sit there in, the, in front of a mic and you think, and you ponder these things a bit more deeply. Right. And you recognize I've learned anyways, really about to, to how to articulate what I found so magical about it. And there's a, when you drink wine with food and friends or family, you become more honest, right? And in that honesty, you talk to the person across the table, you become more vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, you can see each other, you become connected, you um, open yourself, not just to their point of view, but they open up to you. And in that, there's that bridge, that grace that is added, that touch of magic, touch of grace that's added to that moment whether it's a special event moment or just a casual time. I think that's what I experienced back in Paris. And that's what we continue, you and I, and, and hundreds and thousands of people and millions of people that enjoy wine. That's what that's why it retains its its persistent human gracefulness throughout 
forever, I think. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. I, I hadn't thought about it in that context, but you're right, that, that vulnerability that happens so easily and naturally uh, is a real asset to those interactions. So we've got limited time, so I'm going to dive straight in to some of the stuff you've been doing. <laughs> Maybe we should start with the, the actual product, so wine. Uh, you're currently directing production at Peter Paul Wines. You also have a growing portfolio with Reyes Selections. So what are you looking for when you make or select a wine? Well, uh, the last night was our, our first harvest for Bacigalupi Chardonnay in Russian River. So I, I'm, I'm operating on, on caffeine and giddiness of, uh, <laughs> of uh, neglected dreams. And that question comes up. It comes up often like, what am I, when, when do I pick? When do we you know, what are we doing here, right? What is our, what is our, our production ethos? And I think in very briefly, in a succinct manner, I'd say that we do, so the winery is called Peter Paul Wines. That's, that's his name. He's my boss. He's from the East Coast in New Hampshire. And he brought me on in 2016. That's its own whole another story you could look at on, um, on our website. But the, there's, it's, it's about thoughtfulness. It's about thoughtful production, but also logical decisions over the romantic ones, which I know is not a, a popular idea of, of wine. When we talked about this grace and magic at the dinner table, right? And all of a sudden you ask, well, what about what's, what's your driving force for Peter Paul? I recognize that it is a little bit of a reality check, but, but it's, it's business, thoughtful business and viticultural decisions can produce high quality if your heart is in the right place. So for instance, I would say that stylistically with one being an anemic, pale, insipid, boring wine from who knows where, right? And a 10 in terms of style and, and, and power and 10 being this overwrought, extracted, dense, you know, uh, ponderous kind of, of wine. Uh, you know, we're probably somewhere stylistically in terms of amplitude, somewhere around the seven or eight, right? Maybe even, maybe even nine California, Napa and Sonoma are, are, are known, uh, whether, um, cynically or, or, or celebratorily as very rich and relatively denser wines. Uh, we, we do accept that we have a sunny temperament of Northern California coast, but we choose Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and, and Cabernet that we retain the refined elements of each grape's Euro European heritage. Uh, we look for a proper balance, even in that amplitude of fruit of savor and structure without being overwrought. So we do deliver richness. Uh, and joy while still saying please and thank you. That's that's Peter Paul. I'm desperate for a glass of wine now. <laughs> sure, no, I, 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 uh, I, me too. Actually, even though it's uh, nine a.m. This is the problem with a podcast. We're not sitting around a table. We're <laughs> thousands of miles away from each other. <laughs> right, exactly. Next time you bring the wine, I will. So let's talk a little bit about your writing. You wrote a very successful paper, The Rise of the Consumer Critic and Its Impact on Purchasing Behavior. Uh, I believe that was part of your research dissertation for the Master of Wine qualification. Uh, it's won an award. Very, very cool. Um, but I heard a rumor about an upcoming book project. Maybe you could share that with our listeners. Uh, yes. Um, you know, uh, I think... Well, I'm shifting my, I have been shifting for some time through um, conversations and projects with clients uh, through my um, my own company, Reyes Wine Group, uh, in particular one client, uh, Spotswood Winery that I should mention. 
there in St. Helena. And a few, a couple of years ago, they tasked me to address the climate, uh, climate action, right. In the face of, of climate change for, in the wine industry. And that really shifted my, my, eth- uh, my ethos and my direction for my company and for my, um, focus in what topics I would be researching or developing f- both for business reasons as well as for for writing. The topic really is, and the idea is uh, uh, with Anna Chilton, who this is really her idea and she and she's reached out to me and we're going to be collaborating on a book on the sustainability of the wine trade, wine business, wine, um, wine uh, production, uh, everything. Uh, we want to think about it as a handbook for anybody who can pick up the, uh, the, the cause of, of what action a person, whether it's a vintner or a cooper or a merchant or a retailer or a marketer, um, or a tasting room manager or a viticulturalist, um, what are the, the, um, what, what are we doing? What can we do and how, and what are the resources to, to develop a, a person's, uh, own, a wine industry, a person's own, um, path towards uh, sustainability and the resilience of our trade. So that's the direction that I'm, I'm going to uh, now. And I have Spotswood Winery in St. Helena, who continues to be a client and who I work with and probably will hopefully for a long time. I, I credit them for lighting this fire. I've, I've become kind of a zealot <laughs> of, sustain, of sustainability in wine and, and in personal. I'm looking down at my socks right now. They're like, you know, uh, you know, they're uh, zero, true zero waste certified, non, non dye, minimal waste, B Corp certified. You know, there's this, this you start to, you start to act and purchase your way in that, that that's in line with, uh, with your professional direction too, I think, to some degree. It sounds like the book's going to have a real 360 approach to it, that you're not just looking at sustainability in the vineyard, but at all levels. And one, I think that's something that we really need to make people aware of in the industry, that when we talk about sustainability in the wine industry, it's not just what's going on at the winery, in the vineyard. It's every decision that's made from from being in the, the winery to buying the bottle of wine and then taking it home and consuming it. And that's something that I think this industry sorely needs and, and needs a voice such as someone like yourself to sort of say, this is possible and we're going to tell you how to do it. You took the words out of my mouth and, and there is a chorus of, of people. There are There's an army of small right now, army of zealots across the globe who are deeply invested in this topic and who are working within their communities, South Africa, New Zealand, of course, California, uh, you know, all, all over the place. Every, every region and wine is having a reckoning with this topic, our our objective really is to give a, a snapshot and then also uh, be a, a space where the conversation can continue to grow, and everyone can recognize what the whole world is doing. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a there's um the best thing I think for the industry is for us to recognize how much of a role everybody plays. Like you said, from the viticulturalist, the vineyard manager, production, the bottling lines, the head, the weight of the bottles. Um, the, the consumer themselves choosing to buy and support wineries that are certified Napa green, right? Over uh, this quality in Napa is there is, is great. But if you then say, where is your logo that certifies that you are, you know, a Napa green vineyard, Napa green winery. And also there is a resistance and there's a shift around the idea of, of greenwashing. There is a change that's happening. It's not, 
there, there's a lot of preconceptions that are also being dissolved over time. There's, this conversation could have, and it has had, uh, multiple conferences across multiple organizations for multiple days, and we're just scratching the surface, Rebecca. But I think there's a lot, a lot to be had. So thanks for bringing that up. It's 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 a special thing for me. And the 360 approach kind of also mirrors your your role in the industry and how and because you've been someone who's touched on so many different aspects like I sort of hinted at the beginning you know you you write your work you have a portfolio you have your own company you're judging and you also educate and I was particularly tickled by the fact that it says on the Reyes Wine Group website that in your spare time you also educate. <laughs> so I have to admit, one, how on earth do you have spare time? I, I believe this must be a myth uh, that you have some kind of magical device that's giving you more time. But obviously, all joking aside, it demonstrates how important education is to you. So I wanted to kind of dive into this a little bit and see if you could talk about why it's been so important for you to continue to educate given everything else you have going on? You know, I, I think it starts as a child. It started for me as a child, uh, you know, a, a lower class immigrant upbringing. My family is from, from Mexico and I was born here in San Diego. It's not an obvious background for international wine career, right? But my, in particular, my dad's contortionist efforts for, for proper schooling irrevocably changed my life in a way that I could only see now as an adult. His meager salary as a park maintenance worker uh, allowed me to attend a four-year university and not overly meant for families like mine, right? Quote, unquote, that, that kind of thing. And so looking back, what did education do? Well, now as an adult, you say, okay, well, I recognize now that I'm more cogent about this, the topic, There's this is a space where discrepancies of access uh, exist and they continue to perpetuate those discrepancies of access, right? You might want to call it academic privilege. So for instance, number one, you, you, you gain knowledge, right? Competency, especially in writing or critical analysis. I don't think of myself as a, I still don't think of myself as a master of wine. I think of myself as a master of somebody who knows how to ask the right questions about wine. <laughs> That's the, the word master in wine early bookends around the process of, of just thinking of, no, you don't know the answers, but learning to ask the right questions and that critical awareness, right? Um, that's to me the val one of the values that well, values of education. And then secondly, building your network, the friendships you call on later, and the the people who you know who went through the path of WSET or diploma to the friends that you you had in in the programs, whether in school, in college, university, and and in wine, they they remain your friends. And then when you you grow into your careers, that network helps your own path in your own business, whatever that business may be, right? And thirdly, the feelings of empowerment, right? The, you're emboldened, the education, the credentials, the graduate courses, they embolden you to assume that other things are possible, right? The other things you want to say, like whether that's starting a new business or making wine uh, or even changing a tire or even getting out of a pickle, many pickles I'm getting myself into. Uh, some of them I don't really uh, relish, by the way. Um, <laughs> great, great dad joke. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. But uh, you, you, I said to myself more, more than once since 2018, if I did the MW, I can do this. If I did the MW, I can do this. And you calm yourself down and say, wow, okay, I did that. This is difficult. But if I can do, if I did that, I can do this. And it recalls, you recall those feelings of, of empowerment. Um, so those are the things, those are the reasons why 
at the core, education uh, was so important to me. And in wine, education played out in much the same way, but for a little bit more of an insidious reason. Education, like the W set or anything else, I know the sorry, the W set's listening, W S E T, pardon me, the proper expression, <laughs> it enables a person of, of color in the US. We're talking about the US now, right? And maybe globally, forces that work, tectonic plates outside the US, to be taken more seriously. And if you if you view the systemic racism or discrimination or negative stereotypes as the opposite type of currency, they take, you know, they take your your um value away, then the credential currency allows you to spend it during transactions with others in wine. And you come out a little ahead each time. So in other words, the value provided by, by education and, and wine in particular is like a buffer zone of sorts against the, the onslaught of stereotypes. And it was true for me. And I, I believe it's true for anybody who takes on this, who takes on wine education as part of their career. I completely agree about both education as a whole and wine education. And I I was similarly inspired to be involved in education because of my father and because of what I saw him doing in education. And I just think it's so important to kind of, like you said, the currency that it gives you in your interactions. Uh, it's not necessarily a bit about you know, being quote unquote more intelligent than someone else. It's the interactions you can have, the doors that it can open for you, the different perspectives it can give you on the world. And that was particularly the case for me whilst starting my wine education is seeing people come from completely different perspectives, joined together by this thing that was wine, giving me new thoughts about the world that was around me not just about wine, but about how I experienced the world in general. And I was very lucky to experience that in London, which is relatively multicultural as, as wine goes. Um, and that just opened my eyes to all sorts of things that were happening in the wine industry and in the culture that I was part of in London. Um, and I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't have started my diploma in London, for example. So a perfect segue to talk about Wine Unify, uh, an association that you co-founded and really has education at its heart. Indeed, you have the Wine Unify Education Award Program. So how did that come about? Was, was that just a sort of natural progression of, of your thoughts about education and wine education and representation? Well, the, the heart of Wine Unify, and the, I, I co-founded it, but it was definitely not uh, uh, my, uh, my baby. Uh, this, this belongs to, to all of us, um, uh, the, the co-founders, three of us, Mary Margaret McCammick, a, uh, also a master of wine, and she's based in, in California. And she is an educator uh, by trade. Before she was in the wine business, she was uh, a teacher. And D. Lynn Proctor, a very well-known individual, he uh, a, a black wine professional and a, and a, a brilliant mind. Um, they, we all, we three of us were brought together. Mary Margaret knew him. I knew Mary Margaret, but then I've gotten to know Dylan. And over over the past um, the past few, well, it's been about a year and a half now, I think. Um, but the bottom line is, we we are we recognized the power of 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 education. It's empowerment, right? And each of us had our own relationship with education and with wine and knowing how, uh, what we just described a few minutes ago, um, how that plays out in wine. And you look for first, wine already is an intimidating thing, right? For anybody who comes into it, 
right? And there's that, that, that education helps some of that, some of that solvent, right, against that. But then there's a second level of intimidation if you are in the U.S. at least a person of color, uh, whether black, uh, Asian, uh, Latino, uh, Native American, whatever that is, you have this second area where, where it's viewed rightly or wrongly as a white man's drink or a white person's uh, uh, libation, right? I know that's, we beautifully so, this is changing. There's, if anyone takes a look out there in either social medias or virtual spaces or white education, that is, there's a, there's a tectonic shift happening now, but, and I, and there's a lot more to, a lot more to be done. But the point is that we, we were part of, and we are part of that conversation where we, we are facilitating the access we're bringing. It's one thing to say, we want more diversity in wine, which we all do, but diversity does not automatically mean inclusion. Right, you can you can accept people of color into your program, whether it's UC Davis or WSET, but do they really feel welcomed? Well, maybe, maybe not. So, and do they feel like they have role models or mentors that they can speak to about this course? You know, about this test, about breaking into the wine industry, about building your resume, or about you know taking going after that job, or you know the, the kinds of things that that um, are normally a career in wine are in, frankly intimidating. They take on another level of intimidation when you're at when you're a sommelier at the at a fancy restaurant and you're a black sommelier, and you are approaching a table of white wealthy bankers, right, who are drinking expensive wine, and who are going to look at you, right. This is in the person's head, like me, as as a source of authority on as a point of authority on this. I'm going to swallow a little bit, right? Before I approach the table, no matter what color you are, right? And no matter what, what background or what race or uh, what abilities you have. So, and that is part of the part of what Wine Unify wants to do. So we offer funds or sometimes it's funding too, right? So the, the, the these wine programs are expensive. So we offer funding and financial uh, support for people to, um, for people who identify as a person of color to take, they, they can apply through wineunify.org in the, in the US and they not only receive the funds to to apply for WSET, but they also uh, we also provide a degree of mentorship of that the building of that um, sense of of inclusion, but also a sense of community. The the fourth part of education that is the most meaningful one is now time to give back. It's time to look back and say who else can we bring forward, and step aside. So I've got a couple more questions because um, I do want to touch on, I'm sorry, you are a master of wine. We have to talk about it because this is an incredible accolade. Um, and you are the first Mexican-American to hold the position. So I wanted to talk about a couple of those things. So first, I was really intrigued because I know you very deliberately chose the master of wine path rather than the court of master or the court of sommeliers as they are now known which is has historically been a more coveted title i think in the us so why did you make that decision to go down the mw not the ms route uh, you're absolutely right rebecca that in the us the ms master sommelier um, as a title is historically known uh, is the more coveted one well but back then when i when i first started in wine 2004 which doesn't but then four and five is when i thought, oh, like there's these credentials, I, I, these certifications that you can work towards to, you know, as a, as a skinny uh, brown kid on the sales floor of a high-powered retail shop, K&L in, in California, um, it, it was clear to me that I needed 
that I wanted to be continue the education. I, that's that that was that is the touch point there for me to uh, to decide. Okay, well, what 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 is out there? And you look at the MS and uh, I, simple reasons back then. I was a, before the wine trade. I was a shitty bartender. I was making I was good at making drinks, margaritas, but I was very slow, and I couldn't keep up with with the demand. So and and I I didn't. Uh, I was. I knew that restaurant. The restaurant trade was not for me. The MS is one that is deliberately in hospitality and the restaurant trade, which is a huge force in the in in the U.S. Massive force. When I found out about the MW, uh, I thought, "Oh my goodness, that is uh, that's that's the place." It's it's a generalist. It is an academic. It's not just academic, but it has an academic view. It is involved in viticulture, vinification, the business of wine, contemporary issues. And you don't have to know a lick about restaurant work to 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 get down that path. And and I I still spill wine at the at the dinner table on accident. And that's just you know what I mean, like service and that whole the whole showmanship. I'm just not good at that. I'm also not really patient with people over you know that that like the immediate hey nice to meet you. But then if you they ask questions about wine, there are people who are much better at hospitality consistently long-term than I am. So it, at, initially, it was very clear that the MW was my path, uh, long-term goal than the MS back then. Now, though, I, I think in, uh, there's been a shift in the US, at least in the past generation, where, look, you know, Rebecca, what drives what drives most, a lot of my work is is to power the underdogs, power the underdogs of, and that's what helped, that's what propelled me into uh, Wine Unify. I was an, under, an underdog when I went to a four-year university, uh, right? When all the, the the power dynamics, that's what drives my work and my projects. Sustainability itself is an underdog. It is not a sexy topic. You'd rather, you'd go to, uh, you know, a shot enough to pop tasting nine times out of 10, as opposed to a, what are we going to do to save the, you know, <laughs> to save the, 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 the Tavel region from, from being uh, from from disappearing because it's too warm in the south of France. That's not a sexy topic. So that itself is an underdog, you know. But anyways, so it, the MW itself is an underdog in the U.S. And I think it's it's when you say um, the, the the question you you pose, it's it's fair on the surface. And but beyond that, it's like what what go why go down one path versus the other? Well, you know. You, some people want to be movie directors. Others want to be movie stars. And if I've often made this analogy, uh, an MS is like a movie star and a wine star, really. And an MW is like a movie director, a little bit behind the scenes, not really as, as um, you know, the celebrity. Uh, it's a little bit more inconnu, right? And we're talking about in the US here. And so the path of before us, in wine is diverse. You could be a winemaker, an exporter, sales, marketing, branding, enologist, retailer, and writer, and a restaurateur, right? So you're right that being in the, in the US these days, I want to fight against the preconception that if you say, oh, you're in wine, oh, that means you must be a sommelier. Well, maybe, but you don't have to be. You know, what if I'm not good in restaurants? What if I don't want to do table side service? What if, what else is there? I I wanted to be in a world of wine outside of restaurants, live it and breathe it as we all do, just not not with a suit and a pin. And the irony is that the IMW, the Institute of Masters of Wine, helped create the Court of Masters Sommeliers way back in the in the I think it was late sixties or seventies. And um, yeah, you're right. In, in, in the U.S., there is a, it's shocking to many uh, that uh, to hear that there is this other pinnacle 
right? That the hardest wine test in the world isn't just one. It could be one of two. So I, I do acknowledge that I, I want to fight against the, not to, not to fight, to resist against conflating being in the hospitality and restaurant business in the U.S. is being in the wine industry. It's not just that, you know? You know, one out of every five bottles in the U.S. is sold in restaurants. Four out of every five are not. So sometimes we need to talk about diversity in, in our careers as well. So I'm happy you brought it up, but uh, and I don't want to. I'm not bad mouthing. I do not want to bad mouth. I have many friends who are MSs, and I probably could have been could have chosen that at some point. And frankly, I think that it's deeply fearful of the exam. So I kudos to those who are kudos to those who have that special trait that there is magic to that service. There is magic to that trade. All I'm saying is that that is one of the paths that one can take. And it's important for us to, to acknowledge the other paths that exist. And, And frankly, I think they got themselves in the trouble. The court did in part because the power dynamic was so concentrated Right within the organization and those rep- those who are who have the, the top title that you know eventually p- power breeds um potentially uh, uh, um what's the word uh, uh, taking it uh, t- taking advantage of that power can 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 produce um, unfortunate results so I think that I think that the the, the since we're touching on the subject now briefly I think that the court of uh, Master Sommeliers will be better and will grow and will realign uh, its true path forward. Um, I, I, I really believe so. Kind of like the Austria, Austrian wine trade did in the eight, 1980s after the, the, uh, the quote unquote, uh, radiator, radiator fluid uh, scandal, right? Rather now Austria is a badass. I think the same thing is true there, but we, we all rise together. That's, that's my, that's my short answer. I think it's a really great opportunity to show people that, you don't have to take the path that someone else has taken. You know, just because that's the path that lots of people look to doesn't mean that that's necessarily the path for you. And you are able to make your own decisions about exactly how you want your position in the wine industry to be. Uh, and I think that's also a very important part of diversifying our approach to the industry because, you know, like you say, so many people go, oh, you're in wine, so you're a sommelier. And I get that all the time. I was like, you do not want to see me open and pour a bottle of wine. Like, honestly, that's a hot mess. I cannot be in service. It's a skill, but it's one I do not have. And they're like, oh, so you're in the MW program. And I'm like, no, actually, that's that's just not for me. That, you know, I came out of the diploma and I was like, for now, that's not for me. And that, you know, it's just people taking different paths. There's a role for everyone in the industry because there's so many of them. Uh, And that's one of the great things about the wine industry is there are so many things you could be doing to just share your love of wine with other people. Thank you, Rebecca. So it is the Italian Wine Podcast. Uh, Yes, it is. So it would be remiss of me not to ask at least (laughs) one question about Italian wine. Uh, otherwise, if I don't, Stevie's going to kill me. <laughs> I always forget because I get myself wrapped up in these amazing conversations and I need to bring it back to the Italian wine. So you have several Italian wine producers as part of the Rea selection. I wondered if there are any particular wines or regions that you're looking to add or maybe that you're excited about right now. Well, my market currently is uh, the Pennsylvania uh, market, which is, which is a monopoly in the U.S., 
So um, right now I've got uh, uh, three producers, Terra Stregata, in the uh, in the Campania region, who is a multiple-time Trevichetti winner for their Falangina. And Cascina del Pozzo and Claudio Alario in, in Piemonte, they're known for their del- Barbera and Dolcetto, respectively. Um, but I am uh, trying to, uh, I'm working to represent and hopefully bring into the market uh, two that um, I love their wines, Espanol, a Prosecco, and uh, it's a it's a it's a family owned. Actually, they have a, they have a, a fair amount of of acreage, or excuse me, hectares in, in the European parlance um, uh, that they control. Um, I think thirty or forty, which is quite significant. But so they're they're fairly close to um, what one would consider an, an estate grown prosecco. Not very expensive, and just beautifully made and beautifully packaged prosecco uh, that. Um, that the, the family, the Spaniel family, uh, create. And so my hope is that knock on wood that, uh, we get them into, uh, our Pennsylvania market. And then Franco Conterno, I know Daniele Conterno, uh, the son, and he's a, a, a dynamic individual and they're, they're, they're all their wines. They're, they're Lange, they're, they're Nascetta, they're Lange Rosso, they're Barbera d'Alba, and they're multiple, uh, experiential Barolo from Siatiani all the way down to the Barolo Normale. Fantastic. I mean, ultimately fantastic, compelling Barolo. You know, recently I did, um, I participated in a uh, Ivini del Piemonte, uh, there's an association of uh, Piedmont producers as a grassroots association to to communicate, uh, you know, uh, Piedmont um, to export markets. And Deborah Parker Wong, a friend of mine and a, and a, and a, a brilliant educator uh, and wine communicator and journalist, she invited me to be a participant of this um, of the Evening de Piemonte podcast around climate change and, and the climate uh, crisis with Piemonte producers. And there was one producer, uh, they were all compelling, by the way, including uh, Daniele Conterno of the Franco Conterno was also there by coincidence. Spana, Spana um, Winery. Uh, they not only make fantastic whites, by the way, um, but their their approach and their their optimism around the changing climate of Piedmont and the way in which they collaborate and the way in which they share information and the way in which they focus on what matters not just quality but also their impact on their relationship to nature their their awareness and attentiveness to the greenhouse gas emissions to water management is a complete picture so spana to me is somebody that i want to reach out to, I've not, I've, you're the first person I've told this. And when this question came up, I'm like, hmm, who else would I? And I'm like, well, they came to mind. They don't even know, right? So I'm, I'll, I want to reach out to them through Deborah if I, if I can, and maybe have them join the International Wineries for Climate Action, an association that that I I work a little bit with through Spotswood, my, my client here in St. Helena, because that winery can be uh, can, can continue to be a you know a clarion call to the rest of not just Piemonte but also uh, the wine industry about uh, about thinking holistically about one's role, not just making quality wine anymore, but being a qualitatively compelling steward of your land of of nature. Right, and most of these wineries, probably all of them, have that long term relationship with nature, with their soil, with their land. So it's. It's a natural extension, and probably they're all thinking about this. But Spana has data; they have knowledge; they have practices that can then spread, right? And again, that 
being fiercely collaborative is is the way forward for all of us to to have to build resilience in our trade top to bottom. So that's a long answer to your question about who I'm promoting and who I'm thinking about and who I eventually want to 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 have a relationship with in, in the wine trade for it for Italy. They're a great example for you because not only are they doing all that work, but their wines are just utterly delicious. So they demonstrate that you can do all of this great work and still produce exceptional wines. Yes. Yes, exactly. Martin Rez, thank you so much for joining me on the Italian Wine Podcast today. I'm sure we could talk all evening, but we can't, unfortunately. So where can our listeners find you online or on social media to, to see more of what you're doing? Sure. Uh, there's a few things. Uh, Reyes Wine Group dot com uh, that's my company uh and that's where you can go first i go to reyeswinegroup.com there's there's a page there dedicated to uh to dad humor so dad jokes i'm a, I'm a dad humorist uh, or a curator of or purveyor of or creator of or i don't know it's just a, a little bit of uh of humor there for for us to not take ourselves too seriously and from there you can go to peterpaulwines.com that's the winery that i manage uh full-time peterpaulwines.com uh wine unify wineunify.org is an association that we talked about earlier and that's a place you can find me there too i'm also a, a co-host for a uh wine podcast actually food and wine podcast called the four top with Catherine cole uh so the i think it's the four top.org or four top.org uh oh and in, on social media you can uh Find me at uh, Reyes dot, what is it? ReyesWine.mw on Instagram in particular. Instagram, and I think the same thing on, on Facebook or, or whatever, yeah. Thank you to everyone for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe, and of course, donate on the website to make sure we can keep these great conversations flowing. Martin, thank you once again. Thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful evening. It's great talking to you. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.